Section 23, Introduction. Shortly after the church was organized on April 6, 1830, Joseph was with his father, Joseph Smith Sr., his two brothers, Hiram and Samuel, Oliver Cowdery, and his good friend, Joseph Knight Sr., from Colesville, New York. They were gathered at some house in Manchester, just south of Palmyra. The date is believed to have been between April 6th and April 11th, 1830. Apparently, they were concerned about the spiritual well-being of their relationship with the Lord. Joseph was therefore asked to approach the Lord concerning each of them, and this revelation was the result. Behold, I speak unto you, Oliver, a few words. Behold, thou art blessed, and art under no condemnation. But beware of pride, lest thou shouldst enter into temptation. Oliver Cowdery may have been the most concerned about the Lord's feeling toward him, since he was the first one to whom the Lord addressed himself. It was interesting that the Lord first commended Oliver and assured him that he was not under any condemnation, but then immediately warned him that he must resist the temptation to allow arrogance and pride to creep into his mind. Make known thy calling unto the church, and also before the world, and thy heart shall be open to preach the truth from henceforth and forever. Amen. At the same time that Oliver was warned to beware of pride, he was urged to proclaim his calling as a second witness to the restoration of the divinity of the prophet Joseph Smith. He was promised that if he spoke out to the members of the church, his mind and heart would be open and he would be able to proclaim a stirring faith-promoting message to the saints. Behold, I speak unto you, Hiram, a few words, for thou also art under no condemnation, and thy heart is opened, and thy tongue loosed, and thy calling is to exhortation and to strengthen the church continually. Wherefore thy duty is unto the church forever, and this because of thy family. Amen. The Lord loved Hiram, and he was assured that he was free from any condemnation, and that his calling would be a full-time service to strengthen the church continually, and this would be his duty in the kingdom forever. Behold, I speak a few words unto you, Samuel, for thou also art under no condemnation, and thy calling is to exhortation and to strengthen the church and thou art not as yet called to preach before the world. Amen. It will be recalled that Samuel resisted the divine calling of Joseph at first, and it was only after he sought the Lord in private prayer that he was converted in an instant. However, he never described what happened to him. In this revelation, he is told that he stands in favor with the Lord. But he is not yet called to do missionary work to the world. His calling is to work within the ranks of the church and strengthen the members. Behold, I speak a few words unto you, Joseph, for thou also art under no condemnation, and thy calling also is to exhortation and to strengthen the church, and this is thy duty from henceforth and forever. Amen. It is interesting that Joseph should be addressed at the last of this inner circle of church leaders. His calling, like that of Hiram, was to serve in the kingdom full-time forever. 
Behold, I manifest unto you, Joseph Knight, by these words, that you must take up your cross, in the which you must pray vocally before the world as well as in secret, and in your family, and among your friends, and in all places. And behold, it is your duty to unite with the true church, and give your language to exhortation continually, that you may receive the reward of the laborer. Amen. Now we come to one of the most faithful friends Joseph Smith would ever have. He was not yet a member of the church, but he had been supporting Joseph and Emma down at Harmony for a long time. He had a good farm and grist mill that helped him prosper, but he was not wealthy. The Lord tells him to join the church and take up his cross, which is exactly what he did. In fact, Joseph Knight Sr. and his family became the foundation for a strong branch of the church in Colesville, and they all moved to Kirtland, Ohio, when that became the first headquarters of the church. Section 24, Introduction Several frightening crises poured down on the prophet and his associates after the organization of the church, but before this revelation was given. For example, Joseph was at Colesville, New York, 102 miles southeast of the Whitmer home in Fayette, when he was called upon to perform his first miracle. Newell Knight, the son of Joseph Knight, was 31 years old, but had been hesitant to lead out in prayers when called upon. Suddenly he became possessed by an evil spirit, which wrenched his entire body and finally subjected him to levitation, so that he was tossed about the room. By the time Joseph arrived, Newell was pressed against the ceiling. Joseph records that, quote, his visage and limbs were distorted and twisted in every shape, unquote. That is from Grant's History of the Church on page 106. A crowd of neighbors had collected, but Joseph strode up to Newell, took him by the hand, and in the name of Jesus Christ commanded the evil spirit to depart. It did so instantly. Many of the astonished people who witnessed this miracle later joined the church. At the first conference of the church, which was held at the Whitmer home, Newell Knight was one of those who was allowed to see a wonderful vision, and he immediately described what he was seeing. Joseph then returned to Colesville to participate in the baptizing of his wife Emma and twelve other converts. When they returned to the night home, a mob of fifty men surrounded the house and vowed they would kill Joseph. The mob eventually disbanded, but that night when Joseph held a meeting to confirm those who had been baptized, he was arrested for the first time. However, the mob ambushed the constable a short distance from the house, and only by whipping his horses was the constable able to save Joseph's life and take him to South Bainbridge, about 15 miles distant. Joseph was found innocent of the false charges, but had barely been released when he was rearrested and carried back to Colesville for another trial. He was once more acquitted, but a large mob gathered and threatened to tar and feather Joseph. He could not have escaped serious injury if the constable had not taken him out a secret way so that he could flee 30 miles in the dark and reach his home in Harmony, Pennsylvania. It was about this time when Joseph was beginning to wonder if the Lord had forsaken him. 
He wrote, quote, I will say, however, that amid all the trials and tribulations we had to wade through, the Lord, who well knew our infantile and delicate situation, vouchsafed for us a supply of strength and granted line upon line of knowledge, here a little and there a little, of which the following was a precious morsel. Joseph then had recorded 42 verses of Scripture which supplement the book of Genesis in the Bible. In this revelation, Moses describes how he learned about the creation story. The Lord told Moses about the thrilling role of Jesus as the general manager of this round of creation. Moses was then shown the human population of the earth from the beginning to the end. He also saw the vast planetary creations of the Father and the innumerable inhabited planets called Earths. But the Lord told Moses he could only ask questions about the earth on which he lived. Verse 17 of this revelation indicates that Moses had already been called to rescue the children of Israel out of Egypt sometime earlier. So this revelation was sometime after the burning bush incident and according to verse 26, it was before Moses had yet undertaken this dangerous mission of going down into Egypt. This exciting scripture is in the Pearl of Great Price, chapter 1 of the book of Moses. Joseph had actually begun his mission to revise the Bible, which would extend over many years. For the time being, however, he would not receive any further supplements to the Bible until the coming December. It was shortly after this remarkable manifestation that Joseph received the following revelation in July 1830 while he and Emma were still residing at Harmony, Pennsylvania. Behold, thou wast called and chosen to write the Book of Mormon and to my ministry, and I have lifted thee up out of thine afflictions and have counseled thee that thou hast been delivered from all thine enemies, and thou hast been delivered from the powers of Satan and from darkness. This first verse was to help Joseph get his life back in focus. What happened to Joseph and the saints at Colesville was just the beginning of his career, comprising a continuous series of life-threatening experiences. Nevertheless, thou art not excusable in thy transgressions, Nevertheless, go thy way, and sin no more. This is an astonishing verse. After all Joseph had been through, he must have had some serious doubts about the protection of the Lord whom he was committed to serve even unto death. The Lord reminds him that he was protected, and he has forgiven whatever offenses of doubt and faltering faith he had committed in those desperate moments when he must have had some temporary misgivings. Magnify thine office, and after thou hast sowed thy fields and secured them, go speedily unto the church which is in Colesville, Fayette, and Manchester, and they shall support thee, and I will bless them both spiritually and temporally. The Lord now tells him where the first branches of the church are to be organized. Joseph had been under severe pressure from his father-in-law and perhaps his wife, but Joseph is told to rely on the saints for the necessities of life so he can serve them in many wonderful ways that will come with additional revelations. But if they receive thee not, 
I will send upon them a cursing instead of a blessing. And thou shalt continue in calling upon God in my name, and writing the things which shall be given thee by the Comforter, and expounding all scriptures unto the church. Of course the Lord knew that in some areas the prophet would continue to receive persecution, but he assured Joseph that those communities would grope about beneath a cloud of darkness, while Joseph and the faithful saints would be inspired to press forward and receive marvelous revelations and other blessings that will help them expound the scriptures to the members of the church. And it shall be given thee in the very moment what thou shalt speak and write, and they shall hear it, or I will send unto them a cursing instead of a blessing. Joseph Smith was an uneducated man, and the responsibility of expounding the scriptures and giving spiritual meat to satisfy the yearning of the saints was a monumental and frightening task. However, the Lord promised to tutor him as he went along, so that the great truths would be open to his understanding in that very moment when he had need of them. For thou shalt devote all thy service in Zion, and in this thou shalt have strength. Be patient in afflictions, for thou shalt have many, but endure them, for lo, I am with thee even unto the end of thy days. The Lord tells Joseph not to be distracted by temporal problems, because he is to devote all of his time to the ministry and the building up of Zion. In view of the pressure he had been getting from his wife and her family, this was an assuring statement. He knew he was neglecting the ordinary chores of his family and home by constantly traveling and speaking, but the Lord reminded him that this would be his way of life from here on. And in temporal labors... Thou shalt not have strength, for this is not thy calling. Attend to thy calling, and thou shalt have wherewith to magnify thine office, and to expound all scriptures, and continue in laying on of the hands, and confirming the churches. Now the Lord made a statement which other church leaders later verified, that Joseph would not be blessed in temporal labors even though he undertook to fulfill them. And thy brother Oliver shall continue in bearing my name before the world, and also to the church. And he shall not suppose that he can say enough in my cause. And lo, I am with him to the end. The Lord wanted Oliver to know that he could not assume that he was excused from all of these spiritual labors and devote his time to temporal matters. He was tempted to do this and later succumbed to this temptation. The Lord tells him to carry the gospel message to the whole world as well as to the church. He is not to assume at any time that he has completely fulfilled his religious responsibilities. In me he shall have glory, and not of himself, whether in weakness or in strength, whether in bonds or free, and at all times and in all places he shall open his mouth and declare my gospel as with the voice of a trump, both day and night. And I will give unto him strength such as is not known among men. Oliver was promised the quality of supreme gospel eloquence if he would declare the message of the gospel with the voice of a trump, 
Wilfred Woodruff verifies that there were times when no orator in the church could match Oliver Cowdery. Require not miracles, except I shall command you, except casting out devils, healing the sick, and against poisonous serpents and against deadly poisons. Once a priesthood holder has witnessed the power of miracles, there is a temptation to exercise the priesthood and demand miracles through wishful thinking rather than inspiration. The Lord forbids his priesthood to require miracles unless he has authorized it through the Spirit. There is no authority to make promises while giving a priesthood blessing unless the Spirit has dictated it. The exception is casting out devils and saving the lives of those who have been bitten by poisonous serpents or where poison has been administered to someone. In such cases, the Lord says the power of the priesthood may be invoked, but only when the victim requires it. And these things ye shall not do, except it be required of you by them who desire it, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. For ye shall do according to that which is written. And in whatsoever place ye shall enter, and they receive you not in my name. Ye shall leave a cursing instead of a blessing, by casting off the dust of your feet against them as a testimony, and cleansing your feet by the wayside. When the testimonies of God's servants have been rejected and the Spirit confirms that a cursing is appropriate, they may shake off the dust of their feet and leave a curse on that house. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall lay their hands upon you by violence, ye shall command to be smitten in my name. And behold, I will smite them according to your words in mine own due time. The Lord will also remember any who mistreat his servants and violently abuse them. Also the missionaries may become so provoked that they actually command these enemies to be smitten. However, nothing may immediately happen, but the Lord says it will happen in the due time of the Lord. And whosoever shall go to law with thee shall be cursed by the law. Those who try to snare the servants of God with the law will ultimately find themselves cursed by the law. And thou shalt take no purse nor scrip, neither staves, neither two coats, for the church shall give unto thee in the very hour what thou needest for food and for raiment, and for shoes and for money and for scrip. In the early days of the church, the Lord commanded his servants to go forth without purse or scrip, having full faith that their requirements would be met through the generosity of the saints or those who were told that they were ministers of God. In the early days of the church, the culture was inclined to give assistance to those who were doing the work of the Lord. As cultural changes occurred, the Lord allowed the saints to support the missionaries and no longer left them dependent upon the generosity of strangers. For thou art called to prune my vineyard with a mighty pruning, yea, even for the last time, yea, and also all those whom thou hast ordained and they shall do even according to this pattern. Amen. The Lord wanted this revelation to be a pattern or a guide to those going forth to preach the gospel. Section 25, Introduction 
The past four months had been a tremendous trial and a tribulation for Emma Smith. Her uncle was a minister who had been responsible for creating bitter antagonism toward Joseph and the translating of the plates. In fact, the possibility of mob action to seize the plates had led the Lord to have Joseph and Oliver leave Emma to take care of their tiny cottage while they finished the translation in Fayette, New York, at the home of the Whitmers. Then there had been the strain of getting the Book of Mormon published, followed by the meeting at the home of the Whitmers, where the church had been organized on April 6, 1830. More recently, they had gone up to Colesville, New York, where Joseph had tried to start a branch of the church with the Friends of the Knight family and had been arrested and subjected to two different trials. He had been vindicated at both trials, but barely escaped being mobbed by having the constable take him out into the night by a secret way. He had fled through the forest, streams, and brush all night before he reached harmony and the safety of his home. Finally, Emma joined him. Emma had nothing but persecution from the Hale family insofar as Joseph was concerned. Emma's father and uncle were farmers, and by July they ridiculed the fact that Joseph had no crops in or the prospect of any harvest for fall. Then Emma had one more troublesome hurt. She learned that after Joseph and Oliver had moved up to the Whitmer farm in Fayette to finish the translation, it had been such a burden on Mother Whitmer that she had complained of weariness. In order to encourage her, Moroni had appeared before her and allowed her to see the gold plates. That meant that altogether 13 people had seen the plates, but not Emma. After the translation was finished, the plates had been immediately returned to Moroni. Emma not only felt neglected, but deliberately slighted. It was in this setting that Joseph received a revelation just for Emma. And here's the text of section 25. Hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God, while I speak unto you, Emma Smith, my daughter. For verily I say unto you, All those who receive my gospel are sons and daughters in my kingdom. A revelation I give unto you concerning my will. And if thou art faithful and walk in the paths of virtue before me, I will preserve thy life, and thou shalt receive an inheritance in Zion." The Lord is laying a foundation to restore Emma's confidence in their relationship. However, Emma had apparently been doing a lot of complaining, and the Lord wanted her to know that this was offensive to the Lord. Therefore he said, Behold, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou art an elect lady whom I have called. Then he went directly to the heart of her major disappointment in not getting to see the plates. Murmur not because of the things which thou hast not seen, for they are withheld from thee and from the world, which is wisdom in me in a time to come. One cannot help wondering what would happen in the future that made it undesirable to have Moroni appear to Emma and show her the plates. The Lord knew the remarkable strength of this woman and also her weaknesses. He knew that eventually she would falter, and after Joseph would be taken from her, she would leave the church. The Lord knew that if Joseph was to have this wonderful woman in the next world, 
and he did love her greatly, it was important that she not leave the church after having the Holy Ghost reveal the angel and the golden plates to her. Now the Lord endeavors to elevate the higher qualities of Emma's mind and the task of supporting and inspiring her husband at this extremely depressing and critical time. Emma has her problems, but Joseph is carrying on his mind the weight of a whole new dispensation of the gospel, and the immediate success of God's kingdom is hanging in the balance. And the office of thy calling shall be for a comfort unto my servant, Joseph Smith, Jr., thy husband, in his afflictions, with consoling words, in the spirit of meekness. And thou shalt go with him at the time of his going, and be unto him for a scribe, while there is no one to be a scribe for him, that I may send my servant Oliver Cowdery whithersoever I will. This is like calling Emma to be Joseph's missionary companion. Serving as a scribe in place of Oliver Cowdery will allow her to capture the revelatory manifestations which sometimes come very unexpectedly and there's no one else around to record them. The Lord anticipates the time when Emma will be the first president and leader of what will become one of the largest women's organizations in the world. And thou shalt be ordained under his hand to expound scriptures and to exhort the church according as it shall be given thee by my spirit. Emma has been baptized but not confirmed. Therefore the Lord says unto her, For he shall lay his hands upon thee, and thou shalt receive the Holy Ghost, and thy time shall be given to writing and to learning much. The Lord is well aware of the temporal worries which prey upon Emma's mind. Therefore he says, And thou needest not fear, for thy husband shall support thee in the church. For unto them is his calling that all things might be revealed unto them whatsoever I will according to their faith. The Lord has already told Joseph in an earlier revelation that his whole concern for the rest of his life must be the ministry of the church. He must not be concerned with temporal needs since the whole church is depending upon him to faithfully record God's will as the broad ramifications of the kingdom of God will be continually unfolding for years to come. And verily I say unto thee that thou shalt lay aside the things of this world and seek for the things of a better. Now comes a calling for which Emma will always be remembered. The Lord says, and it shall be given thee also to make a selection of sacred hymns, as it shall be given thee, which is pleasing unto me, to be had in my church. For my soul delighteth in the song of the heart. Yea, the song of the righteous is a prayer unto me, and it shall be answered with a blessing upon their heads. Wherefore, lift up thy heart and rejoice, and cleave unto the covenants which thou hast made. Emma was a strong-willed woman and had exactly what was needed to cope with the challenges which lay before her. Nevertheless, the Lord wants her to be humble enough to focus her concerns on her husband rather than on herself. Continue in the spirit of meekness and beware of pride. Let thy soul delight in thy husband and the glory which shall come upon him.
keep my commandments continually, and a crown of righteousness thou shalt receive, and except thou do this, where I am you cannot come. Finally, the Lord wants Emma to read this revelation repeatedly and constantly keep in mind that this is not Joseph talking, but the Savior. He closes by saying, And verily, verily, I say unto you that this is my voice unto all. Amen. Section 26, Introduction During the week since the Book of Mormon was published, Joseph's younger brother Samuel had been diligently trying to get people to buy this sacred book. In a sense, he was the first missionary in the church. Since there was nothing but hostility around Palmyra, he had gone to the nearby town of Menden, about 15 miles away. Later, he returned home totally worn out and with all of his copies of the Book of Mormon except two. One copy he had given to a poor widow, and the other he had presented to a new friend, Reverend John P. Green. Reverend Green was a Methodist minister and well-respected in the community. After listening to Samuel's earnest account of the history of the gold plates and the experience of his older brother in getting them translated, Reverend Green prayerfully read the book and became converted. He then eagerly took the Book of Mormon to his brother-in-law, Phineas H. Young, who also became a believer. From there, the book moved from house to house and helped to convert Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball. In fact, within two years, this one book had converted the Greens, the Youngs, and the Kimballs, and many of their friends. This resulted in the development of a strong branch of the church in the vicinity of Menden. But meanwhile, Joseph Smith, Oliver Cowdery, and John Whitmer had met together in harmony and were wondering what they should be doing to exert themselves. Should they be farming, as Emma's father was urging them to do, or should they be doing missionary work? The following revelation slightly diminished the pressure from Father Hale and directed them to better prepare themselves for the missionary work which lay ahead. And now the text of section 26. Behold, I say unto you, that you shall let your time be devoted to the studying of the Scriptures, and to preaching, and to confirming the church at Colesville, and to performing your labors on the land, such as is required, until after you shall go to the West to hold the next conference, and then it shall be made known what you shall do. This revelation told them to involve themselves in four endeavors. The first was to get busy studying the scriptures. The second was to return to the preaching and organizing of the branch in Colesville where Joseph had nearly been mobbed. The third was to do some of the essential work involved in the preparation of the land on Joseph's 13-and-a-half-acre farm and fulfill those labors until such time as they were called to attend the coming conference where they would be told what to do next. And all things shall be done by common consent in the church, by much prayer and faith, for all things you shall receive by faith. Amen. The Lord cautioned these early laborers in the kingdom to be sure to do everything by common consent and not try to dominate the saints by aggressive leadership or personal aggrandizement. 
Common consent was also to be accompanied by much prayer and supplementation of the Lord. If you are enjoying this podcast with W. Cleon Skousen, you might enjoy his lectures recorded while at Brigham Young University, found at skousenlibrary.com.